microphone. Good morning. Well, we reached the halfway point on the seven churches. We've done Ephesus, moved on to Smyrna, into Pergium. Now we're at Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea over the next three weeks. These letters, written as a warning to us that we might not grow weary, to not give up, and to hold fast for what we have in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we just ask you to open our hearts our minds, to receive your words, Lord, that you have spoken to these churches. As we look at Thyatira today, Lord, we ask that you'd grant to us the insight, but that we'd be able to see what they did wrong, where they fell short, and how they we can overcome that. To become faithful and true to you. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon these words that we study today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. This message was an extremely hard one for me to work through. I struggled more with this sermon than I did with my first message, my first sermon, even my first public speaking. This was the hardest to go through, to prepare for. To say maybe that Satan did not want me to be in this book, to be in this chapter studying so hard. Possibly. Could it be the will of the Lord? or the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was sifting me, testing my heart. Hard to say. But I know this much. I was definitely sifted going through these passages. Time is brought to my knees in prayer. Other times, hung my head in shame. But these seven messages are for a reason. They're there that we might learn from them. So that we can be made holy. Pleasing to God. Let's read this message, this letter to Thyatira. Revelations 2, 
starting with the 18th verse. And to the angel of Thyatira, to the church of Thyatira, the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, and feet are like burnished bronze, says this. I know your deeds, your love and faith, and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bit of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they are unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they are called, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will grant authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of pottery are broken into pieces, I also have received authority, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give them the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Quite a bit is said in just this little portion. It's interesting. Thyatira is the smallest of the churches, the smallest city, community of these seven. Yet, it receives the longest letter. The Son of God, not the Son of Man. Son of God. The Son of God who has eyes of flames of fire and feet of burnished bronze. The omnipotent, omnipresent Son of God. Eyes that sees all things, visible and invisible. And feet of 
polished bronze. The all-powerful Son of God speaks. The Son of God. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, not the Son of Man. So much in the scriptures refers to him as the Son of Man. Yet here, Jesus himself refers to himself as the Son of God. Let's look a little bit about the town, the city. The map is up there. Uh, you can see where it's located. It's between Pergium and Sardis. It has no harbor. It's not situated on a hill overlooking a valley. It's set out in the open, in an open valley on a main road. Though it did have a Roman garrison there, it was not there to stop the opposing armies when they would come. They were there just to slow down the army so that Pergium, the capital, could prepare for the battle. Thyatira was a blue-collar town. It had all sorts of businesses. It was a very prosperous commercial hub. It set on major trade routes. There were carpenters, tanners, weavers, dyers, tent makers, metalsmiths, especially those who worked with bronze. They were well known. As well as sellers of goods, merchants, who sold linen, wool, tanned good, tents, leather, products, metal objects, as well as those who sold food and animals. It was quite a busy place. A lot of things happening there. But with all those different forms of manufacturing and business, there were a lot of different guilds. Today, we have a tendency to call them unions, associations, societies. These societies wielded much power over the tradesmen. If you were a member of a trade association, or weren't a member, I should say, your business, your livelihood, became endangered, became in extreme danger of failure, starvation. If you did not participate with them, belong to them, you'd be ostracized, put out of the union, making it difficult to earn a living. Problem is, each of these different associations had its patron saint or deity that was honored. It was honored with offerings, sacrifices, and rituals. In which all, not just a few, all members were expected to participate in. These banquets, meals, 
meetings were often held in the idol's temple. They weren't at someone's home. They weren't at someone's shop. They were at the temple, an idol's temple. Yet, there was often eating. Most times there was. But it was eating what was sacrificed to their idols. They often had sensual and immoral sexual rituals and practices that went along with this worship. What about the church? The Lord starts out with praise for the church, what it was doing. Of their deeds, their love, their faith, their service, their perseverance. And not only that, these were improving and growing and abounding more than what they were when they first started. So they had to be doing something right. They were getting the word out. Sounds like they were doing everything they should. Growing, sharing, encouraging, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus praises them what they had right. But, but, they were falling short. They were missing the mark. They were tolerating false teaching. This false teacher, who was teaching what was contrary to God's word, this woman Jezebel, They were allowing this false prophet to speak and to teach pretty much freely. Seemingly not wanting or warning her to stop and urging her to repent of her ways. Nothing was done to put her out. Not only her, but those who accepted and practiced and taught her teachings. The Thyatirans were guilty of these thin sins, not by by not doing much to stop the false teaching and allowing evil to creep into the church. By not stopping them, by not stopping her, letting it creep in a little bit at a time till it is Rampant within the church itself. Who is Jezebel? Or I should say this Jezebel. Was this woman really named Jezebel? We don't know. But we do know that it is a direct reference to Jezebel of the Old Testament. First and second Kings. We know that she was not an Israelite. She was not a Jew. She was married to the king. And she 
set up her altars to her gods near the altars of Jehovah. To entice the people, the priests, to tolerate the debauchery, to even participate in their worship. Not that she was necessarily against the altar of the Lord. Is that she wanted equal time. She wanted equal to what he was getting. Causing them to eat the Jews, the Israelites, to even participate in the worship of Baal. Allowing sin to enter into their worship of God. She compromised and polluted the people. This worship involved immoral and lascivious practices, which are against God's word. First Peter one sixteen says this because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. A quote from the book of Leviticus that Peter uses here. By the way, this Jezebel in the Old Testament died a very horrific death. You can find that in First Kings chapter 9 and verses 7 through 10 and also the verses 30 through 37. But this new Jezebel this Jezebel in Thyatira, she claims to be a prophetess, a self-proclaimed one. She claimed to speak for God. But she brought deceit, heresy, and outright lies into the congregation. Teaching that it is okay practice fornication and to eat things that were sacrificed to idols to be progressive to get with the times to become more like the world around us sound familiar get a lot of those same arguments today need to be progressive need to get with the times they may not say that we need to be more like the world, but that's what they're, they're thinking. That's what they're wanting. Today, we don't have too much of a chance of eating meat that has been offered as a sacrifice to an idol. But at this time that this was written, it was. In this area, the probability of eating things that were sacrificed to an idol were very good. You had a very high probability in it. The meat that you bought at the butcher had a good high probability because there were so many different churches, or uh, not churches, pagan worships. There were over 20 in this small community. Thus, 
If an animal was offered to each one every day, it was more than could be eaten or used by their priests. This meat was often sold to the butcher. The butcher would then turn around and sell it to anyone in in the town who sought to buy it. So you had that probability, a very good probability, even buying it from the butcher. Then you come to the food feasts, the meals that were eaten at these union dinners and at the worship time, the rituals. What you had to eat was often what was there on their sacrifice altar that day. What was sacrificed then was what you partook of later on. But not only that, but these mills flowed wine, sometimes excessively. With the rituals leading to debauchery, to fornication and adultery. Just this one person, one person was corrupting the whole church. But that's all it takes. It just takes one person. The scriptures here recall her Jezebel. Is exactly what was happening in the church here. They had a wonderful spirit, a great vision for reaching the world around them. But they began to tolerate and allow her to teach that one can serve God and yet do things that are contrary to his word. She taught that it was all right for the Christians to indulge in sexual immorality and idolatry by taking part in these meals and rituals. The members of the church here in Thyatira were torn between making a living a lot of the time. Whether you make a living on the one hand, which meant being part of the guilds, these unions, or on the other hand, staying faithful to Christ and his standards set forth in God's word. There was this type of economic persecution came as a result of these trade guilds. They represented every different type of trade, business in the city. But they were much more than that. They operated so much as a service club today, their influence in the community held great amount of influence. And if you were a businessman, that was great. If it, but it was very difficult to make a living as a tradesman if you were not part of this. They held such a grip as to say who could sell and who could buy their trades and wares. So the question came down to this. Should Christians be involved with these guilds, with these societies, 
these unions? Would their involvement include at the very minimum, minimum acceptance at these pagan events, their attendance at least, but they were encouraged to participate and often forced to. Other options for the Christian, of course, was to not belong at all. However, due to the influence of these organizations, this option would virtually guarantee economic ruin. Christians here who did not belong to one of the guilds were also faced with many challenges. Did they buy or sell from these corrupt guilds? If they spoke out against the practices of these groups, they risk economic and and or physical persecution. Personal involvement in them would cause these Christians to compromise their basic moral and ethic standards. And their witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A difficult decision for the Christians in a city like this was how much pagan society to accept and how much to condemn. Have you ever been in a position where you had to decide between playing it safe, say at work, or in a group, to stay silent, or to speak out, take a stand for something you believe in, your faith? Christ Jesus, the Word of God, not necessarily easy sometimes. Restaurant owners have been known to struggle with the question whether to permit alcohol sales to help make a profit. Or do you say something about the boss's unethical financial dealings? Do you work on Sunday? After all, you could get double time pay. Or do you honor God and go to church? You sometimes struggle over should they sing in a certain type of club or play a certain type of music. This mentality of embracing the world plays out in every day, in every area of our lives. These are the Thyatiran questions. Is life spiritual? Or is it business? Is it possible for us to divide life in such a way that the sacred and the secular can be separate from each other so that faith would be a private matter? Business, a public one? Tough questions. You can see why I wrestled with this. Comes down to every little thing. Notice the Lord holds the church responsible. He accuses them all. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. 
This is a problem that the church leadership has to face every day, just as it had to face it in the first century. The problem was not that there was a Jezebel in Thyatira. Every town has one. The problem was that the church was allowing itself to be influenced and be led by this false teacher. The Lord links sexual immorality with idolatry. We may find that strange, but actually one eventually leads to the other. The reason is this. Fornication and adultery are both clear-cut violations of specific and explicitly forbidden by the word of God. Anyone who reads the Bible can see that very clearly. That God forbids these activities. Is it wrong for believers to indulge in sexual immorality of any sort? Yes. Those who deliberately engage in sexual immorality are choosing not to follow the true God. The one who does or she has deliberately violated the authority of God. Therefore, in practice, if not in profession, God is no longer their God. Whatever you are living for, whatever makes your life worthwhile to you, becomes your God. So you become idolaters. No one can serve two masters. As for her children, as it is referenced here, it is believed to be the reference to those who follow after her, who practice her teachings, and also teach them. These will receive their just punishment. Those who follow Satan are called his children. Those who follow and belong to Christ are God's children. Verse 24, Jesus addresses the church. He addresses those who were not led astray into error. He tells them only to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold tight. Be victorious. Don't give up. What happened to the church in fire tire isn't limited to churches. We as individuals can fall just as far and just as hard is an entire congregation. Men, women, who once accepted the authority of Christ and the direction of the word of God 
and begin to falter. One seed or one sin leads to another and another. They'll finally they're no longer any different than the world itself. With his eyes aflame, he searches the hearts and souls of every person. Turn to Hebrew chapter 4, verses 12, 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We're talking here the word of God and of Jesus. He knows our every thought, our every intention. They're laid bare before him. There's no trying to hide it. We may hide it from those around us, but we cannot hide it from God. There were some who rejected Jezebel's teaching. Jesus here places no other burden on them. But they remain faithful to God's word. Hold fast to it. To them who overcome and keep his commandments to the end. God promise of two things here. One. To rule with Jesus over the nations. And he will give us the morning star. The morning star. Who is referred to as the morning star? Revelations 22.16 It is none other than Jesus Christ himself. What an awesome thing. We overcome. Amen. Today, take an evaluation of our minds. Is there any difference between the way you live and your unsaved co-workers live? Is there any difference about the things you say About the way you spend your money? How about the way you treat your spouse? The teachings of Christ are not just for Sunday morning or a midweek study, but for all of life, every moment of every day, of every week, of every month. Of every year until God calls us home to Him.
So what can we say is the answer to these Thyrotiran questions? The answer is not total isolation and separation. Jesus himself said we are in the world, but not of the world. So we are not to isolate ourselves in little Christian communities. But the answer is not to completely immerse ourselves in culture either. Jesus calls us to be separate from the world. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. Instead, the answer is found in holiness. Holiness is expressed in knowing and discerning righteous limits and never violating them. God calls us to holiness. Remember 1 Peter 1.16, we read earlier, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Ask yourself, how does God see me? Not how my family does, or my friends, or the pastor, but God. What does God think of my actions? My words, my decisions, my feelings, my thoughts. Is there any difference between the way we live and the way our unsaved friends, co-workers live? How we spend our money, how we talk, how we treat our loved ones? The teachings of Jesus Christ are more than just Sunday morning. They are for all of life, day in, day out. So ask yourselves, how does God see me today? We need to take an evaluation of ourselves in our lives. Not how people see us, but God. What does he think of my actions, my words, my decision, my feelings, and my thoughts? You know, he doesn't leave us alone. He provides for us some words to live better by. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be known. God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good or is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. On Ephesians. Most everyone will know this one. Chapter 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Not a portion. The full armor. here, So that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows, the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer. Petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. How about First Thessalonians? Chapter 5, verses 14 through 22. I urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. Let's look at three verses in this passage. Verse 14, we're urged to admonish anyone who is unruly, encourage anyone who is faint-hearted, to help the weak, be patient with everyone. How are we supposed to be? With one another. How about verses 22, or 21 and 22? To examine everything carefully. To be as the Bereans were. To check the scriptures to see if it was true. What was being said. To hold fast that which is good. And abstain. From every form of evil. 
had the church in Thyatira done that, they would have been praised for just about everything they did. They would not have had this rebuke, this warning of Jezebel. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. One more encouragement to each other. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, pleasing, and perfect. As we examine ourselves daily, Not on the basis of just Sundays, but daily, especially when we gather together. We must search our hearts, search our minds, to see that we are striving to become more Christ-like in all that we do, in all that we say. So that we bring honor and glory to God, the Father, through Jesus' Son, our Savior. And we can only attain this with the help of the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit intercedes for us as we gather together. We approach the throne of God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifices. On the cross. For our sins. That we may have life. And have life. Abundantly. And have the worship team come forward. We prepare for our hearts and communion.